Hey, this is Mike. Hey, this is Kaz, and you are listening to Two Rope Watch Snobs. We have made it all the way to episode 207. Michael, are we gonna, how long are we doing? How long are we gonna do this? Are, are we gonna do this show for? Maybe we do it for however much longer, however much storage capacity we have in our email, in our in our Gmail. Maybe when our Gmail memory just dries up, we just stop. Google really wants us to update our uh, our storage, eh? <laughs> it's on like red. It's just like you have point zero 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 five GB. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but I can still open my email, so I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> if you if you just delete all of the big zero emails, we'll be good. Oh my god, dude, it's <laughs> it's well. The problem is, I, I found out recently we got a shout out in GQ UK about the big zero. Yeah. So, um, which is where a lot of the emails, um, and we actually got like a, like a nice, like a nice bump in listenership from that. Um, no, I always joke about the show and everything like that, but like, I think it's cool. I think it's cool what we do. And it's just really, really fun getting to do this. Do you automatically get a pocket square in the mail when you, when you end up on GQ? Is that what happened? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I haven't, I have to see what I I think that I I would give them a call. I have to see what address they used. I don't know. (laughs) I get a call from my dad back home. Is like Fort Lauderdale is just like, yeah, I got a pocket square. I just burned it. Like, no, that's mine. <laughs> I was part of a club. I was part of a club, an elite few. <laughs> Not really, but here, let's do this. This is going to be a lot of fun. Michael thought it was time that he and I just kind of brought it back. Last week, or not last week, the last episode, whatever the fuck that was. Um, we were, 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 you know, uh, 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 waxing poetic on the profundity of the collector's dilemma. Essentially, we were getting really, really into the idea of, like, the mentality of the collector and when's the collection end and everything. And wonderful response to that episode. A lot of folks had a good time with um, uh, listening to it as much as a good time Michael and I had about talking about it. But, it, but Michael and I thought it'd be time to ground it. Let's ground it a little bit. Sir... You are grounded. We are going back to one of our tried and true uh, reoccurring segments. We have many reoccurring segments here on the Two Boke Watch Stops podcast. This one in particular is a fan favorite. It is, that's right, kids, watch brands we know nothing about. <laughs> Where you get to hear two idiots talk about nothing because they don't know anything about you anything. You get to hear two idiots <laughs> Google a brand and try to cobble together a thought in real time. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're talking this would, about it. This would be a good one to transition eventually into uh, almost almost a sort of video show where yeah. we're on camera also <laughs> Googling together. Yeah. That'd be kind of fun. I would love that. Um, but the Watch Brands We Know Nothing About segment is a lot of fun because it's specifically Watch Brands that we'll target because, candidly, we don't know a goddamn thing about them. We'll try to do a little bit of research before the show, but the majority of what you hear will be us just kind of having a, a proper organic conversation on uh, on air, you know? Um, I love this segment because it's not, it's kind of planned, but not sort of, I don't know what research you did, you don't know what research I did. Um, it's actually really funny, someone at work was just like, um, it's like, oh, you know, um, I'm into watches, I want to listen to your to your podcast, uh, you know, what is it? And I'm like, you don't want to listen to my fucking show. And I literally <laughs> gave him other shows to listen to that aren't our show, because I'm like, listen, these guys are way more polished, they're way, they're much more appropriate discussions. Um, I told him, I, t- I think I, I think I plugged 11 watches, I think I plugged 40 and 20. <laughs> 
and the the worn and wound jerks. I think like literally like I'm like listen, just listen to these shows instead of instead of my fucking show. <laughs> You're like a street vendor. No, you don't want these apples. You, want <laughs> you don't want these apples. apples. And I pull out a crate from behind the behind the thing. You want these apples? These those apples are for the jerks, man. These you want these apples, okay? Oh, that's too good. Yeah. Also, it's it's kind of funny because we're we're doing this episode. We're supposed to research, and it takes it takes time. And it's so funny. We recently had a we had a, a digital gathering of our our, our Patreon members. Yeah. And that was incredible, are, by the way. Weren't you amazed at how smart some of these people are? You just have to stop and ask yourself and say, <laughs> "Why didn't you do it?" That's exactly what happened. They were just talking about like Zeratu <laughs> polishing and all the intricacies of the history. I'm just like, "Oh, it's about the angle and the tool." I'm sitting there. And I'm just, like, I've been saying it for years. <laughs> I have a podcast where I literally talk about my navel. How are you guys not on air? You know what I mean? It's just like, oh my god, people on this, people on the Patreon Slack are way fucking smarter. <laughs> that you and yeah. I, Michael. Oh <laughs> man, very true, very true. Uh, but here, let's do this. So, just just a past brands we know nothing about episodes include um, Credor, uh, Damasco. We've done Hublot, Frank Mueller, Frank Mueller. However the fuck, I don't know. Tracer, interesting. Jackie Dro, which was an incredible episode. I was that was actually like I really enjoyed that episode because I, I like that brand a lot. Um, mm. Tissot or Tissot, if you will. Um, people get so bad when I do that. Uh, Mido, uh, Universal Geneve. So just brands that you, it's either a combination of brands you've sort of heard of, but don't really fully understand. Case in point for me, Credor was definitely one of those fucking brands. Same with fucking Frank Mueller or whatever. Uh, or brands you know nothing about is brands you've just literally never fucking heard of in your life. Mm. Yeah. Today's episode is... Definitely the first one of that option. Today's episode for episode 207 of the Two Book Watch House podcast. Watch brands if you know nothing about part, whatever the fuck part we're on. We're talking seagull. Um, and I want everyone to be prepared for Mike and I to get really fucking confused on air. Because this is a really confusing brand, actually. Uh, also, get prepared for us to completely mispronounce every single proper name that's going to come up on this episode that's not the word seagull right michael i'm trying to i'm trying to limit them <laughs> I don't know about I, you. i'm trying to just kind of um uh, uh sidestep them as, as well as i can but it's kind of impossible at a certain point i'm scared about saying the full actual company name even just do but. <laughs> just do your best just go slow and be respectful and just say i, I apologize i'm going to mispronounce this but and then you kind of just stumble through it like falling down the stairs and then when it's over it's over you know yeah, that's the best way to do it. <laughs> I haven't butchered names for a long time, so I have a I have a process. But here, let's do this before we get into the main topic. Um, seagull watches, which is going to be fucking hilarious. Um, uh, Michael, you know we don't have to do this because you already know what I'm wearing. But we should probably just attempt to honor tradition. Mm. Would you like to do an audio wrist check with me? Let's go. Okay, you 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 go first because everyone everyone knows what I'm what I'm. I'm boring. I'm boring now. I'm boring everyone. <laughs> You're not boring. <laughs> um, hey, why is Chrome opening up? I don't want that. Nope, it's happening. It's happening. I don't want that. Um, so, okay, we're doing what I'm wearing. Oh, yeah. Is that, is that, is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, you, you okay. go first. And then you show, you show me yours and I'll show you mine. So I'm wearing a, a watch that you got me. I'm wearing the Citizen EcoDrive Pro Master Diver. Hell yes. Which is a, a community favorite 
um, I want to say, among the enlightened TBWS patron members, mm-hmm. uh, and I think anyone that listens to the show really, uh, but I think I think there are maybe four or five people in that group <laughs> that have purchased this watch. Wow. Some people are even talking about buying the blue one and the black one just just to have them it's both. A, it's a great watch, dude. Fuck fuck the SKX. I know people are gonna be like super butthurt when I say that, but like seriously. That watch yeah. that you have is the new go-to standard for the affordable diver. I don't care what anyone says. Yeah, and I mean, to this day, one of my favorite episodes that we've ever done, and I think a lot of people um, would agree, is the one we did about solar watches. Mm. And I know it was about solar chronograph watches specifically, I think the title was. was but it? Maybe, maybe it, it was, was. Maybe it was. Solar? The sun, the, the, the sun was definitely there. We can agree on that. Might have just been about solar watches. <laughs> um, you know, if, if you're getting into that kind of stuff and you're into just a watch that's all about convenience and accuracy, um, go solar. Uh, and if you're looking at solar, I think, I think a lot of people would agree that it doesn't get better than Citizen yeah. EcoDrive. They've been doing it for decades at this point. Um, and this diver is kind of like the single standard unit of measurement of eco drive. It is one eco drive, <laughs> not the eco drive one, not that ridiculous watch that costs way too much money. Um, but this this one is is just fantastic. Uh, I have the blue dial. Uh, it comes with a vented dive strap yep. with the um, decompression scale on it. Uh, this time around, I'm wearing it on a really nice NATO from somebody called Wrist Hardware. Yep. Uh, and basically, what this what this strap is, if you know about the Omega NATO, for example, uh, which is a super high quality NATO, I think one of the keepers is adjustable. It's the uh, seatbelt style with a super, I think, double woven and sealed um, end to it. So it, it doesn't fray or anything. And I think the holes are heat sealed as well. Um, but the Omega, the Omega one is, I think, 150 bucks for a NATO strap, which some people think it's worth it. Some people just find it ridiculous. Um, I think it's pretty ridiculous. These are 25 bucks, 26 bucks. Mm. Um, and I don't know. I, I like it. I, it's definitely, um, I'm not super into the seatbelt thing. Yeah. Um, I did it for a bit with the the toxic shiznits. Oh, yeah. uh, I don't really wear those much anymore, but um, this is this is the first seatbelt NATO I like in a while, and uh, it comes in a ton of different colors. And on this uh, on this blue dial, the one that you got me, I, I just have it on black. So nice. This is a nice nice weekend combo for me. And uh, you might have mentioned it, but what's the hardware situation on there? The hardware is really cool. Um, so. It's it's funny when we uh, I listen to the first Terry episode sometimes just for fun, <laughs> and you have you have this very this very um, kind of pointed moment where you say I love the hardware I'm in love with the hardware on these straps. Um, <laughs> it, it's definitely as memorable yeah. I, I would say as as the toxic stuff. Um, he he's gotten some help and guidance from some pretty key people but uh the hardware is really really nice the one thing i would change about the hardware is maybe some different uh options uh i think they all come in polished so to see some some brushed options would be pretty cool Mm, nice but very nice very nice hardware overall again if you're familiar with the the uh omega nato it's kind of like that same same uh realm style of hardware nice 
Does the guy have a URL or I'm trying to... Oh, yeah. Wristhardware.com. Nice. <laughs> We're so bad at this. <laughs> yeah, no. I, was I will say Wrist Hardware is also a TBWS success story. He has been trying to get a hold of us for a long time. <laughs> so whatever, whatever your first name is, guy, congratulations. You somehow, <laughs> somehow got through to us. It's hard to get a hold of us. It's just... <laughs> I, I don't care. I just you don't should feel care. special. I just don't care. You know, you know. It's so impossible to keep up with uh, the internet. <clears throat> Hello, TBWS. My name is Vlad. I make watch for the love of ocean delete. Like no, 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 no. Jesus Christ. Vlad's always there. Vlad's, Vlad's been there since since 2016. Like the ghost of Christmas past. He's always looming over me. I get emailed by Vlad's every week, man. You know what I mean? Has he has he always been Vlad or? <laughs> Has he been a Yuri? He might have been Yuri once for a while. <laughs> Hello, my name is Yuri. I make I make watch for love of sky. I call it Sputnik. Like you're very fucking original, Yuri. Excellent. You just you just gave somebody a great idea. <laughs> oh see the next Kickstarter project. Uh, but no, I'm not wearing that watch. I'm wearing again the Citizen Eco Drive Pro Master Diver Blue Dial uh, on a wrist hardware NATO. It's fantastic i'll probably forget to take it off for the rest of the weekend and then well into this coming week also, which is what usually happens also if you're considering the eco drive um because you love the idea of experimenting with the solar watch and your first thought is oh man but what are my friends gonna say if they see me with the solar watch yeah get new fucking friends i think that <laughs> will probably solve most of your most of your problems yeah yeah or just get rid of friends it does it is easier it is (laughs) i was i was on a work call and i made this joke i'm just like i'm like oh yeah i don't have any friends everyone's like oh yeah right he's got no friends and i'm like and and in my head i'm like fuck you i have no friends i don't understand why that's such a big fucking funny deal i've chosen to not have friends michael you're my friend (laughs) you don't you have choice you know what i mean we're stuck in this thing (laughs) We're like two people uh, stuck up in the the International Space Station. How much would that suck? There's like what between like f- I don't know five and ten people there at one time. What if you hate everyone in there? And really, there's only a, there's a very small pool of qualified people. So even if you don't like the other person, you're you're fucked. You can't just go and request a new roommates to your RA. Yeah, that's just yeah. what it is. You're you're stuck with Yuri <laughs> trying to sell you his watch brand. You know what I mean? He's like making it up there. <laughs> Hello, my name is Yuri. I guess I do that voice. Get me. Spring bars flying everywhere. <laughs> like zero gravity. Can you imagine? Oh my god! Just find them in your food. <laughs> They're gonna like go and jam up instruments, dude. They're gonna, they, you know what I mean? Like a spring bar. The flying spring bar in regular gravity is bad enough, but in zero gravity, oh my god! Oh yeah, you never, you're never gonna find it. No, never. Gonna or you'll find it at the worst times. <laughs> jammed beneath the ignition switch oh no uh so i guess you're i guess uh no change for you then? no i'm wearing the omega i don't i don't care guys it's just like like i know i have other watches but why i'm still wearing the omega seamaster um quartz uh, 2541 that was gifted to me very generously by the tbws um editorial staff a collection of our patreon patrons and you my better half and broke watch snobbery um, 
this this uh, yeah, this is this is exactly what it's supposed to be. This this is it. It's incredibly comfortable. I have it back on the bracelet. I think last time I was I had it on like a NATO or like two episodes ago. I had it on the NATO. Put it back on the bracelet. I ended up taking out one of the like micro adjust links because the first time I took uh, the, I sized the bracelet. Um, uh-huh. It was still a little loose, but um, it was already such a journey to just take off one link from this fucking bracelet <laughs> that I didn't really have the heart to get the micro link out. But the other day, it was just like slipping and sliding on my wrist, which is just like an insta rage moment for me. And so um, I was able to uh, get like, like, because uh, it's not like micro adjust where it's the little spring bar and you push it in and slide it. Like the micro adjustment here, you have to take out a very small link. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's from a different time. It's from a different time, but I love this thing. This thing is... This thing is... From the 90s. From the 90s, dude. This thing is the jam, man. You know? Someone recognized nice. it at work. That was a lot of fun. You know? Really? Like on a call? Yeah. There's watch people at work, oh, cool. dude. There, That's nice. there, there, there are dozens of us. Okay? I never have my camera on, so I guess who cares? Oh, I try. I I I, uh, I used to work client facing for so long. It's just like it's rude if you don't have. So I just leave it on all the time. Well, the, the funny thing about being on video calls. So a lot of people. I should do this really quick. General PSA. A lot of people are on video calls now that aren't used to doing it. I have been doing it for a long fucking time. When you are on a video call, here's here's the trick. You have to not actually look like a human. You have to obviously be a human, but don't eat on air or like on the camera or whatever uh try not to do your video call like at your dining room table or in a situation where people can see personality behind you you know what i mean uh, you could have yeah. you could have books and shit that you know that's fine that's whatever but not like your unmade bed probably shouldn't have that um in the background of your of your video call uh don't eat don't drink anything in a branded can. If you have to drink something, glass. Don't drink out of like a giant fucking Nalgene. That's just weird. You know what I mean? Just a, a, <laughs> a, a, a glass just for calls. Um, and for the love of God, comb your hair, at least splash water on your face. And if you have a shirt with more than five buttons, put it on. That sound about right? Am I missing anything? Sage, sage advice. <laughs> also, if you're the, the weird one, uh, it, good point about the containers. Um, a glass is good. A mug is good. Um, a, a mug is good as long as it doesn't say like I like big dicks on it or something like that. Like <laughs> no novelty mugs for the love of God. All right. <laughs> and if you're gonna do the kombucha thing, I don't know, man. Put that in a different container also, because. Just like you're taking a swig right out of a Heineken bottle or something. Some of those kombuchas come in just like the worst bottles. Just put it, just put it in a glass. Cause what is this person doing on air right now? Like, oh my god! I was on a call with someone and they were drinking. Um, they were drinking. Okay, they said it was apple juice, but they put it in a beer growler, and I'm like, mm, you see, that looks like beer to me, though. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I was all calling someone. They were clipping their fingernails. Don't do that either. Oh, were they muted at least? Oh no, absolutely not. How do, you see? I don't know how some people get this far in life. Assume, like, here's the trick, guys. Assume your microphone picks up everything. Yeah. 
you adjusting yeah. in your chair and it sounds like farting assume it catches that uh your your spouse laughing at the youtube video in the next room assume the microphone's catching that you know what i mean assume it catches everything don't be a human when you're on a video call <laughs> this is how you succeed in life this is how you fail up guys all right <laughs> god oh, okay here let's do this back on track yeah i'm wearing the omega c master professional the 2541 i still love this watch um I'll tell. I'm gonna be honest with you. Uh, there's only two watches that I kind of looked at even after getting this watch, but sort mm-hmm. of dissuaded myself from. Um, I was look. I looked at a Quartz uh, Grand Seiko, the one of the nine F ones. Um, I forgot the exact mm-hmm. reference. Um, and then I, I again looked at the. I sent you link the Crown and Caliber link. I think it was the. Um, the Omega Mel, the Railmaster, the fucking the blue jeans, the yep. one without the stupid Fotina. Oh and the yeah, bracelet. yeah, that's right, that's right. Those <clears> are the only two that I really looked at, but I don't f- kind of fizz, fizzed away. It didn't fizz away. It's just like one of those. I went to a restaurant. I had an appetizer. I had an entree, and I feel really comfortable. I feel really full, and then a waiter brings me a menu and a dessert menu and there's something for there on dessert that I would love to eat. I would very much enjoy it, but I'm full. <laughs> That's where I'm at right now. Okay. I'm looking at other watches. I'm like, yeah, I'm full. I guess I could eat this cake, but I don't need to. <laughs> you don't need to. Okay. You know, it's kind of where I'm at, um, where I'm at right now. So, uh, here, let's do this um, excellent wrist check. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm I'm really happy you still like that watch. The, your your pro master. I remember when, I remember when I got that. I'm like, oh man, oh, I love it. I hope this works. <laughs> uh, this is one of the watches that I look at. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I'm looking at a dive watch or lusting after a dive watch. Um, I might look at the docks and say, okay, you're dumb. You don't need another dive watch. It's either that watch or this watch. Nice. Um, so, if I get a little dive watch crazy, the those two watches bring me back down to earth. They bring you down. Um, they they ground you, man. You know. This one's great, and it's still cheap. Let's do a quick price check on it. I think because uh, that's always fun. It's, it's gotta um, be under two hundred bucks still. Let's see. Eco Drive. Eco Drive Diver. You think I would have been prepared, eh? Uh oh. Ooh, this is new. Mm. Two twenty one. Damn, it's going up. Is this is this our fault? <laughs> well, we don't. Maybe we don't talk about it that much on air. We don't. But we should stop. This is the time to stop because because every time we talk about a watch, the price always goes up. So I don't want that to happen. <laughs> All right. So what's next? Side updates. Site. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's let's do this here. Let's move on to some housekeeping items. Site updates. Huge apologies, everyone. The TBWS site has been uh, a little inactive, but that's because we're doing some restructuring with our editorial and kind of publishing process, um, basically to accommodate the amount of information that needs to go on the site so we can do that more efficiently. We can do that a lot more um just a lot quicker and everything like that so that's why the site hasn't really been updated we're going through some 
um, some organizational and processional changes. But uh, even though we've been going through those, uh, two really cool pieces are up on the site. I love this watch. Uh, our very own TBWS contributor extraordinaire, Baird Brown, uh, put out this. What is this? This thing is. What is. I, I actually never knew the full name. Christopher Ward C65 Super Compressor. The real. Mm-hmm. The return of the real thing. So cool. Yep. I love the photo. Baird does. Um, he's always so thoughtful with these photos. Look at this one, but the fucking Christmas lights in the back, dude. Yeah. So good. God damn it. You know, <laughs> man, that's fucking funny. But yeah, uh, Bear's got a really, really cool review. Check out the photos; really, really gorgeous photos. If this uh, super compressor from from Christopher Ward was all interesting to you, uh, in addition to that, because I want to make sure we have enough time for the main topic, uh, once again, Damon Bailey, Balance Cog Bugle correspondent extraordinaire, has contributed. <laughs> In the field. In the field. Our, 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 in, the in, field. in the field correspondent for the Balance Cock Bugle. Um, Balance Cock Bugle is our version of the onion. Please, no one, for the love of God, think these are real. Uh, Damon's latest contribution. I love this. Uh, I had a fucking kick. Uh, canceled Nautilus leaves ADs relieved. Quote, no more bribes with sexual favors. This is so, this was so much fun to read. <laughs> Yeah, it was a good one. And I had to be, I, I, I was super paranoid when picking the photos. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that I couldn't easily identify a boutique from the photo. Because I didn't want somebody to think that this was real and that was the boutique it was happening in or something. <laughs> it's just my paranoid internet brain. Um yeah, but it's a it's a great article. It's a really it's it's really, really really funny. If you if you want more laughs, if you're a watch collector or watch enthusiast like Michael and myself, and you like humor and laughing at yourself, go and check out Balance Cock Bugle. Um, there's just there's just some I mean, this is a really funny shit in here. Man regrets trading left testicle for Breitling watch. It didn't even have an in-house movement. Oregonian <laughs> evades authorities and races towards fires, yelling, "It's okay, I've got a ball fireman." Um, what else do we got on here? Uh, dead, <laughs> dead man insists on being buried with his Newman Daytona, much to the chagrin of his family. Um, too fucking funny, man. So good. Uh, so go and check out the site, twobookwatchdowns.com, and keep an eye out. There are a shit ton of website updates, reviews, articles, balance called bugle pieces that we are sitting on just as soon as we iron out this new editorial process. So definitely go and check it out on the regular. Michael, would you like would you like to enter again into the realm of watch brands we know nothing about with Seagull watches? Alright everyone, this is when the show gets bad. <laughs> you thought it was bad before when I was telling you how to do video calls. <laughs> Now it's going to get even weirder. <laughs> this is when the show gets bad. Um, I think the elephant in the room is in any time anyone in the States hears Seagull watches, they, they think of the fucking the 1963 chronograph, right? That's just... Yeah, we started our yeah our pre-talk kind of talking about that. And it's I never really thought about it until sitting down to do research. And not only can I not tell if all seagull branded watches are actually made by seagull i can't tell if this one ever had any relation to the actual company ever um 
I think they at the very so, least I think they make the movement because it's based off the Venus one uh man I fuck with I suck with numbers. One six five, one six seven. It's the one is it uh one seven five. It's the it's the it's based off the Venus one seven five. Yeah. And I, I I wish that I knew more about the actual issued Air Force part of this watch's history. Uh, if it was 1963, I guess the brand would have been called Wu Yi at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, first I'm hearing about that brand. Uh, if it was state-owned at the time, uh, were they the ones that would issue to the Air Force? Um, just a lot of questions, and a lot really comes up when you crack into this uh, brand. And then I just remembered that we saw them in Hong Kong, I think. I don't know if we spoke to anyone specifically uh, uh, you said that you said that there was a booth they had a really big booth um there's a really weird history of seagull watches not oh liking. it was a, it was a huge booth i'm remembering it was it remember it was a huge like u-shaped they had their own like section there's right. a huge like history of seagull watches really hating when people take photos at these uh, that's right at these trade shows so i think i did like a passing vlog style instagram clip by their booth but i didn't sit there and like take photos i was there for a while just looking at shit but i didn't i had my camera away um and all that shit um you know so i just didn't feel like getting into an argument with someone yeah over something stupid like that even though you're at a fucking trade show. What do you want yeah. me to do? You know what I mean, um, and all that stuff. So yeah, they were they were there and everything like that. And it was, uh, I think, I'm trying to think of a way to start the discussion about this fucking brand. Well, here's the big issue. Actually, you you alluded to this a little bit. Most people think in terms of seagull, they immediately say, "Oh, seagull." You know, it's it's like low quality or it's 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 crap or it's chinese garbage or something like that first of all if you hear seagull and someone says to you oh yeah that's just chinese garbage yeah that person's a racist you can just stop having a conversation uh with that person i mean the chinese are getting better than a lot of people at making things in general so yeah (laughs) it's kind of i mean but people immediately base the idea of a brand being good or bad on whether or not it was it's based in china or in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. So if the first thing that you hear about a brand that's in China and your first thought is like, oh, it's probably shitty quality, you're probably a racist. It's just, mm-hmm. I don't, I, and I don't like all that word around, but you know, whatever, dude, fuck you. Um, but the problem with seagull is seagulls are fate so much. So what I think happens a lot of the times, I think when people think they're buying a seagull, they're buying a fake seagull. And they base their opinion of the brand maybe off of that fake watch, which is probably not that great. Yeah, everything everything is faked once you realize that G-Shocks are getting faked and even CWC watches are floating around with, um, I think, Miyota movements inside yeah. that actually aren't, aren't real. Um, and yeah, I, I what I did find was this uh, this 2010 interview on... It looks like a site called Europa Star with the general manager. I think at the time he might he might still be. I'm not sure if he still is, but his name is uh, Jin Wang. Mm. And he he mentioned that, you know, with our capacity, 
the kind of output that we have, I think he mentioned making uh, 5 million movements in a year. Let me see. Yeah, so the question here is, I have heard that Seagull produces a quarter of the world's automatic movements. What? And his response, his response is, according to 2007 statistics, out of 20 million movements produced in the world, 5 million come out of our factories. Oh my god. Yeah, and then on the on the Wikipedia article, apparently, the claim is that founded in 1955, it is the world's largest manufacturer of mechanical watch movements, producing one quarter of the total global production by volume. I mean, that's insane. I mean, this is actually an interesting segue. I can speak a little bit to the history about Chinese urology just because it has some analogous origins to Soviet urology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so that 1955 date is interesting because technically the Seagull Watch Factory or the, I don't know how to say it, Tianjin, Tianjin, I guess, I guess, I guess that's just what it's called, Watch Factory or, or, or whatever. Yeah. I think technically didn't start until like, or wasn't built until 1958, <laughs> but it was built in 1958, 1958 based on some of those first technological or logical uh, uh, leaps that, um, you know, government engineers uh, had had made at that time. Um, so here, how do you how do you want to do this? Do you want to talk a little bit about the history of the brand? Do you want to talk about this fake seagull thing? Um, I just I just want to I just want to read one more point about the fake seagull stuff yeah. because I've never I don't think I've ever heard a general manager or somebody at a brand admit something like this or not really admit it. Mm -hmm. It's not like they're doing anything wrong. Um, but he, 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 he owns up to the fact that Siegel is in conflict with itself. It supplies movements. On the other hand, um, it could never by itself absorb its enormous production of calibers. And as soon as it sells movements to third parties, it inevitably falls victim to fakes. Wow. So he, he's realizing that they, they have so much output that, that inevitably they're even there are even going to be fake watches with their name they're on the they're supplying their own counterfeiters and he's pointing out he's pointing out that again back to this this kind of negative stigma that chinese produced anything might have he points out that a lot of fakes don't fakes don't just come from china they come from india they come from russia yeah. uh, they come from a range of different places so um, that's something that i think you know Somebody should just take a little bit of time to to research and realize that Chinese does not equal fake no. um, or bad. Yeah, I, I mean exactly. I, I that's just that's just that's such a weird conflict to be aware of, and I guess to not yeah. be able to do anything about. We are supplying our own counterfeiters, and then I, I really do think inevitably people are then basing their opinion on Seagull, the brand from those counterfeits because the other issue is at least here in the states we don't have an appropriate retailer for seagull watches i mean obviously if you want a 1963 or whatever you can go and get them from long yeah. island watch marks yeah. marks got them coming out of his gills probably but like that begs the question of okay what if i wanted a seagull watch but i didn't want a 1963 or i at least wanted to like browse their catalog most people end up on like ebay or get into the turbions because because they're they're pretty 
proud and, and i i know it's kind of a a, a joke thing in some watch circles aha uh-huh, like chinese turbion mm. that's the one you can afford uh <laughs> but they're they're super they're super into actually making uh turbions and i don't think there's anyone else in china that makes a turbion well yeah um, it brings up the really funny thing because anyone says like oh a turbion that's under I don't know, XYZ thousands of bucks can't be good. If it's a Turbion... People, people were making fun of Tag Heuer for coming out with a Turbion. Mm. And theirs was at, I don't know, 15,000 or something. I, I could be wrong. But it, it was... It wasn't... It didn't hit 20,000 or something. And people were making fun of Tag Heuer for, for making a, a Turbion. Well, I think I think the fact that if Siegel... Because it wasn't expensive enough. Because it wasn't expensive <laughs> enough. Because people have it in their minds that, oh, a Turbion isn't quality unless it's a certain dollar amount but that's just based on the fact that a lot of these really expensive swiss brands were the ones putting out tourbillons and setting their own prices you have to kind of maybe take a step back and wonder okay is it that the chinese tourbillons are underpriced and the swiss tourbillons are appropriately priced or are the chinese tourbillons appropriately priced and the swiss tourbillons overpriced you know what i mean like yeah. What if for what if for a hundred years a chocolate bar cost ten thousand dollars, and one day someone made a chocolate bar that only cost three dollars? Like, oh my god, that's just going to be the worst chocolate bar ever. It's like, no, dude, it's a fucking chocolate bar. <laughs> a ten thousand dollar chocolate bar doesn't make any sense to me. You know what I mean? So, I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure they're out there. It's got like a dodo egg in it or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> this chocolate bar is made of ground up dodo beaks. It's like, oh my god. That's unpleasant and really unethical. Where'd but the you, crunch is so good. The crunch is so good. Suck it, Crunch Bar from Nestle. You know. Um, <laughs> so I think that's just it's it's just an odd conundrum that they kind of find themselves in. I think as a result of the counterfeiters, which they are inevitably supplying. Like I. What I want to do from this episode, especially, you know, as we get more into it, is, like, I want us to get a seagull that's not a 1963 and yeah. review it for the site. Like, let's maybe get a tourbillon. Like, a seagull tourbillon. That would be the first tourbillon ever on, on TBWS. TBWS. Yeah. <laughs> and let's let's review it. And I was looking it up before the show, and I couldn't find an actual reliable place. Don't buy that shit from eBay. Don't buy that shit from fucking AliExpress or whatever because your likelihood as a U.S. buyer to get a counterfeit seagull is astronomically higher than for you to get an authentic one. And that's only going to do more to push that negative association. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just crazy, man. But um, here, let's do this. Do you want to talk a little bit about history? Just a wee bit? Yeah, let's do that. And if if you if you find uh, any cool overlap between you know Chinese watchmaking and and um, the way Soviets did things, um, you know, call it out. Well, so I mean, basically, they the, so the Soviets and the and the, the 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 People's Republic of China, you know, at the time when it was conceived, uh, faced the same issues at the same time when they you know adopted communism and they adopted communism for. Very similar reasons. The Soviets adopt, or the Russians adopted communism, became the Soviets due to a lack of industrialization, 
um, a lack of having a, uh, uh, appropriate agricultural practices to feed people, watching a lot of their European counterparts technologically advance uh, just leaps and bounds ahead of them, a growing um, uh, what the hell is it called? Uh, wealth gap. You know, the rich got richer, the poor died. Um, all that was happening in Russia, which precipitated 1917 and the revolution. Not a 100% analogous situation with China, but very similar specifically in regards to um, industrialization um, and the, the, the practice of trying to feed a nation of so many um, people. Uh, before I go on, this is in no way um, like a, I'm not singing anyone's praises that was fucking, you know, what the fuck's the word, overthrowing the government and stealing communism in China. A lot of people, it's basically just like a genocide. If you could somewhat read a book, they basically just killed you. Or they, or they put a, a backhoe in your hand and they say, hey, you better start growing some potatoes. That's not what the Chinese sound like. That's just what I do. That's my voice for everyone. That's not me. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? So in no way am I saying, yeah, it's a great thing that the People's Republic of China did killing all them learned folk. No, for the love of God. <sighs> they, they did not have good luck with the potatoes either. No. <laughs> <laughs> Potato thing didn't work it out. It didn't work out too reading. well. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Um, but it, it, similar issues in regards to industrialization and a lot of the communities being very rural and that holding or what they interpret as holding the nation back. So in, uh, I guess in the 40s and the 50s after communism was adopted uh, and they began to industrialize, they kind of realized the same thing that was happening in Chinese urology that was happening in Soviet urology. The Soviets were relying on non-Soviet timekeeping for everything. They were getting all of their fucking shit basically from, from, from Europe. And the whole idea of communism is that we don't need to look outside of our nation to build what we need and to make what we need to make our nation grow and thrive and all that shit. Um, so the Soviets very aggressively began to... Um, you know, pursue their own uh, orological industry. Um, you know, they bought the Duber Handling uh, Corporation, Pocketwatch Corporation in Canton, Ohio. Uh, they also procured a lot of technical patent and machinery uh, from Lip, a French watch manufacturer, and everything like that. What happened in China is that, uh, and I'm using as my source for this actually a really fucking incredible website. It's uh uk. this is a website informational project um created by uh, a staff of professors and i'm guessing students over at king's college uh part of the king's digital lab a research software engineering team faculty of arts and humanities at king's college blah 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 so my point is that this is not like my aunt's fucking Facebook posts that I'm going to like be reading information <laughs> out of, off of, okay? Like, it's just, it, it took me a long fucking time to find a proper goddamn source. Your aunt's into Chinese watches? My aunt's into a lot of shit, all right, dude? Like she posts about it on Facebook all the time, all right? <laughs> so to proper site, to, I'll get the, here, I'll just, I'll send you the fucking link, Michael, so you can, you can look at it. 
Yeah, more stuff for the show notes. It'll be good. Hey, we have to practice some measure of academic rigor on this fucking show. <laughs> for the love of God. <laughs> um, but basically, what China was doing up until this point was very similar to the Soviets. They were using other countries' um, technology. Um, the Mao Aaron Objects website here uh, basically says 80%... Or, or no, wait, that's a different statistic. Mainly it was coming from um, Soviets. A lot actually were coming from the Soviets because the Chinese and the Soviets had a relationship at the beginning of the uh, adoption of communism in China because at the time the Soviets were trying to spread communism. So a lot of early watches were from Soviets, but then at the same time there were obviously Swiss watches, there were French, um, and then obviously there were a lot of Japanese watches um, uh, uh, as well. You know, this is in the 40s and the 50s, so Seiko... Um, was already around in some way, shape, or form for you know a few decades at this point. But basically, the Chinese reached the same conclusion that the Soviets did. We need to make our own watch. And they started in a very similar fashion, kind of cobbling together parts and pieces from other watches that they already sort of had. Uh, the first Chinese movements that came out in 1955 um, you know, which is which is the date that we have sort of seen where the Chinese horological industry was established, which ended up um, leading to the res uh, the creation of the Tianjin Watch Factory, which is a name I can't say properly, which is basically Seagull Watches in 1958. Yeah. In 1955, basically, they just began to tinker, put together parts and pieces from Soviet watches, from Japanese watches, and from Swiss watches to try to get... Uh, uh, some kind of working movement based from these parts that they could feel was more Chinese than Swiss or than Japanese. Uh, and I'm reading a quote here uh, of a hundred, and this is from the Bao Air and Objects website, of a hundred trial watches assembled in this effort, only a dozen or so actually worked. Finally, by using a Swiss-made, I don't know this one, Selka? Uh, using a Swiss-made Selka watch as a reference, the technicians were able to produce a working model uh, while the resulting watches were not completely Chinese, quote, as they relied on ported Soviet and Japanese parts. Uh, they represented a major step towards accomplishing the um, CCP's goal of domestic wristwatch production. Um, I always forget the CCP acronym. It's... Uh, Chinese, no, it's the, oh, I'm such an idiot, dude, you think I'd fucking, Chinese Communist Party. That's pretty fucking straightforward, Michael. <laughs> That's what you were trying to figure That's out? That's what I was okay. trying to figure out. <laughs> okay. There you go. I'm a learned man. Some, some call me a learned man. So, this effort to cobble together these different watches, like I said, it's actually really similar to what ended up happening in the Soviet Union. Soviet Union's early uh, uh, communist horological, you know, traditions were just based on them. I mean, kind of just stealing stuff. I mean, they bought stuff, obviously, you know, Duberhanton and then obviously a lot of the lip technology. But then they also just kind of stole some stuff, and it's just you know, it, it, right. it is what it is. But they had to. But but just like like the Soviets, the Chinese had to quickly industrialize their horological. Uh, kind of prowess to meet heavy industrialization efforts that were happening. Trains. Um, people are now working in factories. They're not working in 
farms and pastures anymore. They're not timing their shit by the movement of the sun. Like they they need to have precision instruments and they didn't want to keep buying those from, you know, the Swiss and everything like that, so on and so forth. Uh, let me see here. Ba -ba 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 -ba. All right, this I think specifically relates to the Seagull Watch Factory. I'm reading again a quote from the Mao Era and Objects. This is actually a really fucking awesome website. There's literally a section just on 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 watches here. I can actually just I'll just send that to you, Michael, <clears throat> so you don't have to click around because I think I just sent you their about page. This is quite the website. It's really fucking cool. Um, Reading quote here, Mao era and objects, the Communist Chinese or the Chinese Communist Party officially established a state factory to mass produce the watch, the one that we talked about a minute ago, in 1958. The new watches entered consumer markets that year under the brand name Shanghai. Production began slowly with just 16,800 watches produced in 1958, but in 1958 and 1959, the state set up additional factories in uh, Beijing. Guangzhou, Jilin, and Dangdong, Dangdong, I don't, know, I don't know where the emphasis is there. Other brands soon followed, you know, um, so on and so forth, continuing this idea, but a lot of these were still being based off of like European models and everything like that. Um, I'm trying to find the year when they made a totally Chinese watch. I think it was in the 60s. I want to say it was like 1967. Let me see. Hmm. Ah, whatever. I'll find a later and put it in the show notes. But but this is the environment which precipitated the creation of the Tianjin Watch Factory, which is Seagull. It's this idea of fueling a need, fueling a necessity, based on the idea of a unique movement production. I think that answers one of the big questions that I had. One of the big questions that I had was like, are there any notable Seagull models that aren't the fucking 1963 chronograph, which may or may not actually be a, so, uh, be a Seagull fucking watch? And I couldn't really find any answers because I don't think that's the point. Like a standalone model. I think the idea was just to show off manufacturing prowess. And hey, look how many movements, like you were saying, 20% of the Earth's movement output coming from this factory. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I think so too. There, there's, back to this, this other interview, um, he mentions that the the watches that are actually sold in China, most of them, uh, because of their sort of love for imported products, mm. uh, a lot of them just come with Miotas. He said. Mm. Uh, so so it's not necessarily that the or at least I don't think it's that these watches are made with the intent for Chinese citizens to wear them, because I mean just like we like imported products in the U.S. or or any other country, um, they they like imported products, and so I guess. Citizen is probably pretty big in China um, or watches with citizen movements. So it might just be for the lulls, huh. uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and yeah, I mean, why else would you go set out to make a, a double turbion um, that you can probably just bring to the masses? Uh, you you want to put the research into it. You want to put the work into it. 
Um, but I think this is the I think this is the weird thing that happens in people's minds. They'll probably think, oh, Seagull went out of their way to make a tourbillon specifically to fuel like a Swiss counterfeit market or specifically to fuel those watches which are just like here's a Swiss watch with a tourbillon for $200 but the question is okay is it about showing what you can do with your own manufacturing or is it about trying to one up not even one up but like do something specifically to annoy the Swiss watch industry they said like hey you charge $20,000 for a tourbillon my factory in my country did it and we're only charging people I don't know a couple hundred bucks you know what I'm saying like that's the weird like and I think honestly it could just be a difference in understanding manufacturing mentalities like I don't think Seagull is out there trying to put out artful pieces mm-hmm. they're just trying to supply yeah. you know I don't think they were trying to fuel uh, a sort of counterfeit market or an anti-Swiss market or anything I really just I think at the core, if I'm understanding the history of Siegel correctly, I think they started off more in repair and tinkering, like you said, mm-hmm. until until they were awarded that status of being a national company. Um, so I, I I think I think it's more so to advance the capabilities of the company than than anything else. Um, because I think also I think they're publicly traded as well. Um, so you always you always want to show that you're you're capable of keeping up with the latest tech, uh, the latest trends in in the in the worldwide watch market overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, what public in two thousand looks like. And on the faking uh, discussion again, or rather the copying discussion, did you read about the the Basel World two thousand eight drama? Um nothing's ringing any bells well this is this is pretty spicy so apparently apparently in basel world 2008 uh there were two guys that approached the seagull booth from roger dubuis and they claimed that seagull had stolen a double tourbillon design uh and so Hmm. seagull was apparently so confident in the fact that they uh actually had an original design original to the brand that that very night they had their china registered patent and all the plans from the movement sent to them in switzerland uh-huh. then and this is from the article here a 70 year old master watchmaker formerly with iwc was the expert in the case having leafed through the documents and experiment examining the watches for seven minutes he declared there is absolutely no similarity between the two systems. That's funny. So this 70-year-old master watchmaker that used to be with IWC had to turn to these Roger Dubuis guys and say, like, actually, no, they didn't copy you. But what was, this is a but, totally original thing. But what precipitated the Roger Dubuis guys to think it was copied? Here's, here's another way the, the conversation can evolve. We, we all know the issues with... Um, watch consumers in the states and the negative association with Chinese products. What do you think the Swiss think about it? What? It's probably it's probably a big hit to their ego. They're probably seeing, oh my gosh, like 
we're the ones that do the double tourbillon. What the hell is this Chinese crap? Right. You know, I, I really I really do just think it's arrogance and Basel world drama, it, probably. It's arrogance, but we also should probably address the fact that... We, we've seen that level of drama at far smaller trade shows. Oh, yeah. But here, here's also the deep, dark secret. I don't care what any Swiss watch brand says. In some way, shape, or form, China is involved in the production of their watches even if it's just making like fucking screws or yep. something china is involved in the making of your watch i don't care if it says <laughs> made in fucking xanadu on the dial or made in swiss swiss made or whatever the fuck it says on there if it wasn't for china your watch would probably have to be manufactured or sourced or materials compo and components sourced you know differently that's like the deep dark secret of like swiss yeah. you know luxury watches so it does connote a sense of just odd arrogance and entitlement for a swiss company to be like who the fuck are these guys you know making a tourbillon it's like oh well it's you know your suppliers so i'm not saying that like swiss tourbillons or chinese tourbillons but i'm just saying swiss made isn't an isolated designation it, it, it's you know what I mean Swiss chocolate sure yeah. I'll go ahead I'll go on the record and say Swiss chocolate's probably 100% made I can't even keep up with the guidelines for Swiss made anymore because they've been changed a few times I think in the past 10 years mm -hmm. uh, and it's kind of hilarious like X percentage of these parts need to be in here for it to be um you know considered Swiss well, you know why it's so complicated because they know if they make it clear and simple hey everything has to be made in Switzerland no one would be able to put Swiss made on their fucking dial. That's true. That's why they have to like they have to accommodate the fact that everyone's relying on non-Swiss, mainly Chinese and other Asian countries, for some part of the watch. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that. I, I think the uh, it comes down to hardware because I don't think there are very many hardware manufacturers mm. in Switzerland making screws. Uh, making all the little trivial things that go into the watch that people don't necessarily think about. It's all it's all about oh we make our own hairsprings. We make we make our own this this and that, but never the uh, the not so sexy stuff like screws. Who made the crystals. who made the pin on your pin and buckle uh, on your pin and buckle leather strap? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a good point, <laughs> Michael. So you, you mean, where where was the calf slaughtered? My, <laughs> you mean you mean to tell me it's not Swiss shepherds in the off season? I don't I don't understand. That's what the story was, right? The Swiss <laughs> no, I don't think so. Uh, a, a Swiss <laughs> Swiss shepherd spending all of winter polishing one screw. I mean, that's not. Oh. If you're telling me that's not what's happening, I want my goddamn money back. That's that's just all I'm saying. <laughs> this Omega means nothing. This Omega, me. I, I I pictured a Swiss shepherd sweat, sweating his nuts off over his fuck the same forge he uses to make horseshoes. I thought that's what he was making my end links on. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> it's just, What's really cool oh, yeah. to, to see this is that there's still such a, whatever it is, whatever they set out to do, there's a, a very high degree of national pride and brand pride in the way that these, these brands do it. We saw it with, uh, Memorgen, we saw it with Fita, we saw it with a lot of people that we spoke with that's in a, Hong Kong. That's a great point. Um, um, huge point of pride just, in what they just want to do it. Yeah, a huge point, of, especially specifically with Memorgen folks who I think were based in Hong Kong, right? 
I think so. So as a non-Swiss brand in Asia, specifically in Hong Kong, I remember when we spoke with them, I don't think they ever like mentioned the Swiss watch industry. It was just talking about how much pride there was in making and obviously before people send me like angry emails i know hong kong's different whatever i'm just i'm talking about a non-swiss company um it's just pride of making something and calling it made not in switzerland made in hong kong or in the case of the fighter folks made in uh made in china or china or whatever they put on their on their dials because fighter those are the ones that supply i think like the People are probably like the, the the astronauts. Yeah, they they had that cool space watch yeah. that I wanted to take home. <laughs> Can I not wear this out outside? That that was the one. Was that the one that we went up to the booth and they said don't don't play with it too much because it doesn't. It's actually technically broken. I think so. Yeah, they put the floor model out there that day. <laughs> That's funny. You know. So yeah, no, I I I am excited for the future. Not just of non-Swiss watches, but just specifically of the idea of Asian watches that aren't falling into the big three in like Japan or whatever. And I'm really excited for the normalization of someone choosing to maybe buy a Seagull watch. Not because it was a great deal on a Tourbillon or not because like, oh, it's an entry level watch and I'm just starting, but because they just thought it was a fucking awesome watch and they loved it well, let me let me show you let me show you one that i found and this is actually the first time i um because i think the 1963 is obviously super cool I, i've th i've thought about purchasing one before mm -hmm. but i haven't and i'll get to that in a little bit but this is um this is one that i just found browsing and i think it's really cool it's very mike um <laughs> and i've never seen it before uh i this one is really cool. Think, wow. It it kind of has like an Orient vibe to it. I don't know if it's if it's the logo, the little logo that almost looks like the Orient star. Um, it look well. That's the seagull logo. I think it's like a, I think it's supposed to be like a bird head or something, or like a bird in the yeah. sun in like the sunset <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, yeah. That that thing is cool. So I mean, there are obviously other watches out there that aren't the 1963, and then. I, if you dig a little bit, you start to find a ton of dress watches because those just kill it. Yeah. Um, in, in places like Hong Kong uh, and and those specific markets, but they have some sportier stuff that I think you know in the states people people would love this. Um, Dude, two, look at the look, look at the bracelet on this thing. Like, look at yeah, like the I side mean, profile of the bracelet. It's so cool. So so this is the Seagull Dual Time Zone GMT. Um, it says on this website, what is this website? Seagullwatchcompany.com. See, I have no way of knowing if that's an official site. I don't know either. I don't know. That's the, the yeah. This, I, this says three hundred and eleven dollars and eighty-five cents. Um, you can probably find it for less if this really is a direct source. Um, but one thing I want to go back to. This guy, the general manager, said that they produce a quarter of the world's mechanical movements, five, five million movements <sighs> in a year. He, he admits that they cannot absorb those movements. Um, why haven't we seen, or I'm sure we have at times, you know, uh, some brands like um, Baltic, for example, 
why do you think we aren't seeing Siegel movements circulating within the microbrand circles so much? We really, we it's either, you know, ETA or Solida or maybe, um, you know, NH movements. The, and the stigma. That's about it's it. It's got to be the stigma. Because they, so anyone that's doing a microbrand will immediately know, because we've seen it, we see it at Windup all, all the time sweaty fat throated watch nerds walking up to booths and saying what kind of movement is this like not even saying hi <laughs> or asking them some kind of like uh like oh this is a cool booth are you guys lo-? like this like, what is what kind of movement is this and it's it's, it's always um <laughs> i don't know why i love that voice it's always a miyoto or an edda and usually if it's not an edda, it gets one of two reactions. Either like, a, okay, and they put it down and walk away. Or someone goes, yeah, those Miyotas, I mean, they're really, uh, you know, they're just as good as Edda's. And it's just like, can you imagine what that fat-throated piece of shit is going to say if someone, if they go, what kind of movie is this? And they go, oh, it's a seagull. What's that? They're going to eat them. They're going to hop the table. <laughs> they're going to unhinge their jaw. And they're gonna slide that poor micro brand owner down their fucking throat, and then they're gonna and then they're gonna walk outside. I just imagined one of the Baltic dudes being eaten. My favorite part is that they just stays. They just they're just standing still the whole time while they're. And it's like oh no, I'm being like the steamroller in Austin Powers when he's going down the hallway, and the guy's just like God. It's just it's like a five minute scene. Um, so, but I think I think I honestly I think it's the stigma, and the other thing is. Um, it's also probably, I feel like people interact with seagull movements more than they think, because anytime you buy from a random watch brand, and I'm not, I'm not talking like micro brand, but anytime you buy from like a a watch brand and it's like, oh, it has the, um, it has the, our brand. So if my brand's name is blue owl, I have a blue owl on my desk. If my brand's name is blue owl, it's like, oh, that has our, our blue owl, uh, 0.65 caliber movement in it. It's probably a seagull with like a fucking personalized rotor. So the stuff that is a seagull movement, you might not even realize is a seagull movement. (laughs) I'm just picturing a rotor with a sticker on it. They didn't didn't even engrave it. (laughs) Just put a sticker. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So, um, well, I think the Baltic guys got really smart about it because we asked them, yeah. we said, you know, okay, obviously these things, they have the seagull movements and people think what they think about those movements. Um, what do you do if somebody comes back to you with, we went straight to the worst case scenario. I think we asked them, what do you do if somebody comes back and it's broken or something? And then I think they came back and said, well, actually we we QC everything. We open everything up ourselves yeah. uh, and we adjust things. We we double check, triple check everything before putting it in and actually selling it. So, yeah. you know, brand another brand that does that kind of thing, not with seagull movements, is is Notice. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think if you're if you're smaller micro brand, boutique brand, brand whatever you want to call yourself, if you have the capability of doing that anyway, I don't know, maybe look at seagull movements because, like for example, with that bi compacts layout they did for the vintage chronograph. Baltic killed it with that release, yeah. and I think I think they got that whole vibe in that watch because of that movement, partly. Oh my god, yeah. If that was anything else, it would have been. They would have had to make so many other just like concessions to keep the price wherever mm-hmm. they fucked it, wherever they wanted it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. 
So same thing with EMG. I think that's another brand. They they have that chronograph. That's uh, it looks a lot like the 1963, but comes in some some cooler colors. Are they even fans, around fans anymore? That's a good question. That's a good question. I haven't thought about um, that brand in a long time. Some fun watches, man. Yeah, some fun watches. I mean, the 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 site's still here. <clears throat> someone's and then the, someone's paying the hosting. The other thing, the other thing that I was I wanted to talk about was the 1963 and the fact that probably the most daunting thing that we've uncovered <laughs> in this discussion and in our research is the fact that fake seagulls are a very very real thing oh, yeah. and it's probably the hardest thing to do is figure out whether or not you have a real one so I think if you Google or not Google, if you go on Reddit, for example, you'll see a couple posts on Reddit watches where somebody will reset the chronograph and the center seconds hang will just fling off. <laughs> and it's it's just like jangling around inside of the crystal now. Oh, my God. Um, and I just I would see that years ago and think, OK, I'm not going to take a risk, uh, a 200 something dollar risk on, on this watch. But yeah, but I guess. Who knows where those people bought it from? Exactly. Maybe they bought the $150 version on, on Alley. Mm -hmm. And, you know, who knows what that thing is? It's crazy. Um, I think yeah. I think that's important for us to acknowledge. A lot of the stigma might just be coming from the fact that people are basing their 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 opinions off of a counterfeit version. It was actually it actually this actually this 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 literally this point in the conversation came up, I think um who did we have on air? It was either someone we had on air, it was just you and I. We were talking about like homage watches and Oh, I know what it was. We had a conversation about homage watches and then Nick from Orion Watches um made a comment after the episode went live and he said it's not so much that like homage watches are this or that it's the fact that a you know someone else's design and patent rights are being stolen and b much more salient to what you and i've been talking about he said that people will base their opinions of the real thing from the fake thing mm. yeah you know so a lot of us might have been falling into that trap with seagulls so i don't know I, I'm, I'm gonna find i'm gonna find a seagull tourbillon I mean, I did that. I, I basically went through that process with a Parnas. Oh, shit. I remember that. I, I, formed, I formed an opinion, uh, or I guess I confirmed an opinion that I thought I would have if I tried out a fake thing. I mean, I guess good for Panerai that I ended up buying a real one. <laughs> but what if I tried a Parnas and I was like, okay, the Parnas is just like a Panerai. I don't like the Parnas and I'm not going to like the Panerai. Mm. No, no sale for Panerai. Yeah. Which Tervion should we buy? I'm looking at them now. Know, they got some crazy ones, dude. They got some crazy... And yeah, you, you really did refresh my memory. I think their booth was the one. Because I even... I loaded the SD card from Hong Kong and I was looking through the photos. Mm. And I don't, I don't think I saw any seagull explicit photos. But I, I remember it, I remember the booth, but I remember... It was a huge, huge, huge booth. Yeah, but we overtly chose not to take photos there. <laughs> I think it was them and uh, Etta. Mm. Etta was. They came up to us and they were like, "Yeah, oh, you can't do this." The Etta guys got pissed at us. This is like, "Whoa, no yeah. pictures!" Just like, uh, "You're at a trade show and we're wearing press passes." I really don't know what part of this scenario is unclear to you. 
<laughs> uh, oh, I want to go back, dude. That was fun. That was fun. It was stressful at certain points. The wet market, probably not the fondest memory I think you and I have. Yeah. We we legit got home alone lost <laughs> in a wet market that I didn't realize was a wet market until we left. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's what that was. That's what that I remember um I remember very clearly the smell of room temperature rotted pork and there's lots of blood and soil everywhere. And I remember I looked back at Michael and Michael just goes, I wanna go home. I'm like, I know baby, I know, I wanna go home too. We just gotta we just gotta make it out of here somehow. <laughs> my my wife's got her phone, she got her fucking like Google Maps trying to get us out of this fucking place. <laughs> That was fun. That was a good time, man. Damn it, that was actually a lot of fun. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. Let's see if we can find one. Um, reviews are something that we got to kick back up on the site. Yeah. Um, reviews that you and I do. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. See, see if you can find one, and maybe, maybe after this episode comes out, somebody can point us in the right direction as to, uh, you know where the best best place is to, to buy one of these. Yeah. Even if it's a even if it's a well verified eBay seller or something. Because we know that you can get some cool ones from from Mark, but I, I don't think he carries I think he only think carries, he carries the, the Turbion stuff. I think he only carries the nineteen sixty three dude. Yeah, because he probably has his one guy that gets him those and he doesn't have to worry about the other forty thousand well, seagull models. He also, models he also knows stupid watch nerds don't want anything else. He's only gonna care what people buy. <laughs> they want to pretend that they're in that uh, Chinese fighter, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm just okay. like an Air Force pilot. No, there's a few hundred pounds difference between you and an Air Force pilot, <laughs> and a nice trim Chinese pilot. <laughs> just put, just putting that out there, man. All right, uh, that's good. I'm telling you, man. But yeah, let me see what I can do. Do you want to review the Turbion, or shall I? Or do you want to review your uh, this dual crown? Uh, this uh, dual time zone uh, watch you shared with me. We can grab this oh, for you, and I can grab a tourbillon for myself. No, maybe, maybe, yeah, we can find some stuff. We can do like a dress seagull review and like a sporty seagull review. Mm-hmm. I'd be down for that. Oh, this is interesting. Mm. <laughs> uh, this is so much funnier. What happened? <laughs> so on, on the Long Island watch site, if you go under the brands tab... You have Seagull and you have Seagull 1963. So if you click on Seagull, there's nothing there. But he has created his own brand category for Seagull 1963 Air Force Watch. And you are right. That is, this is the only Seagull on the site. Too funny. Telling you, man. It's like I have become happy. Joe Dirt said it best. It's not about you. It's the consumer. You know what I mean? It's like, what the fuck do people want to buy? You know, stuff. So, All right, yeah, we we got we got some we have some looking to do. We got some looking to do. We have some orological soul searching to do. But here, let's do this. Let's start wrapping it up. I really hope everyone enjoyed episode two hundred and seven, um, our latest installation of watch brands we know nothing about. I hope we expressed to you in uh, the most efficient way possible. We don't know a goddamn thing about this brand, but I like to think we're a little bit closer to maybe understanding them. Um, Seagull is not 
a typical watch brand to try and understand in that you know it wasn't started as this love affair of art or it wasn't something that someone did because they're you know wanted to express themselves and do some blah, blah blah like it's just this is not it was not started for luxury or art reasons um chinese urology like soviet urology spawned to, as an as a need for urological uh, uh, capabilities to match up with rapid industrialization um, and with that in mind I think we're still seeing that spirit alive in seagull watches in that apparently they supply a quarter of earth's movements that's insane <clears throat> yeah they supply so many movements they're fueling their own counterfeiters yeah like that's just crazy to me. That, 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 I, fun fact: in in Tianjin, they're actually their factory is right next to Airbus. So nice. <laughs> you have convenience. You have two two very two very large, um, you know, operations. One more widely known than the other, and dare I say, uh, with less of a negative stigma, <laughs> um, they're right next to each other fucking making stuff making stuff man making stuff and putting it out there you know so i think (laughs) i think if we can accept that a lot of the stigma and a lot of our preconceived notions of seagull may have been spawned from people's interactions with counterfeits and i think if we accept that we are never going to understand or see seagull in the same way as like fucking Omega, where it's almost like a lifestyle. It's like you go into the boutique and they give you the little espresso cup and people talk about space or some shit and then you leave with $6,000 left, like less in your pocket. Like the whole idea, that's not, that's just not what Chinese urology at least started as. I think they're, I think some Asian brands are trying to be more luxurious. I think Memorage is a great example. Some of those watches were fucking gorgeous, dude. Like astronomically beautiful. And unapologetically Chinese. Oh my god, yeah. (laughs) It was really fucking cool. Like, that's what I want to see more of, you know? Like, I'm tired of seeing microbrands try to make or recreate the Halios formula. I know people get mad when I say that, Mm -hmm. but if we could also see a lot of other brands stop trying to recreate the Swiss formula, that'll be really nice too, you know? Yeah. Ah, So here, let's do this. I will stop yelling at you, Michael. Um, You and I got to pick out some seagulls to buy. <laughs> uh, let us know your thoughts on this week's show. Watch brands another thing about seagull watches. I think, uh, yeah, I sent you the links for um, this Mao Era and Objects website. It's, it's actually, it's a really fucking cool website. It's actually really informative, actually. It was nice to find yeah. a proper link um, and not some, like, random Tumblr post or Pinterest, like, image you know what i mean like i said it's an actual website by fucking learned people which is nice for a change um just talking about some of the historic uh, uh origins around chinese urology also the, the piece is actually really interesting the they specifically start talking about consumerism in brands in um uh you know uh in china uh, chinese communist uh, communist china around this point and sort of the mentality around you know, brands and the haves and the have-nots. It's actually a really, really, mm. really, really cool article. Um, but here, let's do this. Let us know your thoughts on this week's show. 
if you own a seagull and you're fairly fucking certain it's a real seagull, um, let us know your thoughts. Actually, Michael, interesting tidbit, since 2017, seagull watches have begun to put a QR code on the back of your watch that you can scan to prove that you bought an authentic seagull watch. Very cool. I did not know that. That's how much they're counterfeited. <laughs> Suck it, Omega logo in the crystal. We're just going to put a fucking QR sticker. <laughs> Which apparently isn't that secure. No, of course not. Man, because if you can make it, someone else can make it. And obviously the QR code's probably not super secure, but I'm sure it keeps their overhead down. Paper's cheaper yeah. than lasers, you know? I think. I hope. I don't know. Last time I checked. Last time I checked. I mean, you know, who knows these days? But, um... <laughs> God damn it. Stay on track. Let us know your thoughts on this week's show. Let us know your thoughts. If you have an authentic seagull watch and you love it or you hate it, just because I don't... I, I think the majority of us are in a place to give an authentic opinion about the quality of seagull watches. I'm not saying... I'm not saying no one is. I'm saying the majority of us. And... Yeah, let us know if it's just bad. Yeah, it could be. I mean, that's fine too. It, yeah, I mean, because when we saw them in Hong Kong, it was um, they were gorgeous, but I didn't handle anything. Yeah, like I didn't ask to like see anything or whatever because I don't want to get yelled at, you know, um, <laughs> like you do. So, all right, Michael, let's do this. I had a lot of fun talking about this. This episode um, definitely did not unfold the way I was expecting it to, but. I'm quite excited to look for some turbions. Some uh, seagulls. Some seagulls. Turbions. Interesting. Some of these are kind of pretty, actually. Um, Michael, is it time? Is it that sad time? It's time. It was a great episode. I think we did the segment um, justice. And uh, yeah, eager to see what uh, folks have to say. Awesome. Let's do it. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. My name is Mike. And this is Kaz. You have been listening to Broke Watch Knobs. Later.